I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This episode of Voices in Local Government is brought to you by ICMA strategic partner Zen City. Trust in local government is on a downward trend. Discover Zen City's groundbreaking generative AI platform to enhance trust in your community. With Zen City, more than 300 city and county leaders are revolutionizing city engagement and exceeding their residents' expectations every day. Learn more at zencity.io. Welcome to Voices in Local Government. My name is Joe Superville. With us to discuss how local government can understand and use artificial intelligence is Santiago Garces, CIO of Boston, and Hemant Desai. CIO of ICMA, and who also held that same position in various local governments for many years. Welcome. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Also of note, register early for $100 off ICMA's local government reimagined conferences, April 10 through 12 in Boston and Palm Desert, California, June 5 through 7th. The theme for both conferences is artificial intelligence. So excited to kick off that topic with you two today. Today, we are going to try to avoid hype or hypotheticals. Instead, we're going to focus on the immediate impact of AI and local government, regardless of population or budget size. This will include employee and resident impact, vetting vendors, ethics, policy, how to take first steps, and maybe even a couple questions about our favorite AI movies if we have time for that at the end. So first, Santi, we all know about Siri, Alexa, and even ChatGPT, but can you define AI and maybe dismiss the most common myths or misconceptions. Absolutely. Again, I think when we talk about AI, we're talking about a really large field and a field that has uh, gone back decades. I think that most of the times we're actually thinking about generative AI and particularly these large language models and some of the multimodal language models that have come up in the past um, year or so, in the past couple of years. So I would broadly describe it as this really complex and amazing type of math that allows us to use data as an information that exists in the world to try to be able to, and for the most part, we've been thinking about uh, having that data be able to predict or to determine if uh, something. I think that with the, in the generative world, we use that data to be able to generate new content. So we're able to ask questions and generate text or generate an image or generate a video. The part that's amazing is that based on the data that has been trained, that these models have been trained, we're able to produce content and things that are actually quite useful, if not always reliable. And and that is, I think, what the, the buzz is about when we when we think about AI these days. But I don't know if Hammond the view. If you have further thoughts on this, no, absolutely. You, you, I think you nailed it, uh, Santi. And um, I, I think you you said very nicely that AI has been around for decades, you know, uh, since early sixties and even before that. Uh, but many of us um, only came into awareness of AI with the new generative AI, which uh, essentially, you know, is basically sub kind of a field within AI uh, that allows us to have user access and maybe even more powerful than the AI that we always had in the back end in the labs where people use it for, um, if you've heard of DeepMind created this um, AI robot that beat uh, Kasparov in chess, right? But really, you know, at that time people said, wow, that's great, but nobody knew what that meant 
until you know last year when uh, a year and a half ago now when generative AI with open AI's release of uh, chat GPT became available to general public that it, it became more aware uh, people became more aware of AI. Uh, so for me, really, AI's use um, includes everything that scientists said, you know, data analysis, you know, where you provide some data, it provides predictions. You know, I see AI as kind of a two separate arms for people who maybe knew the traditional AI, which essentially existed long before generative AI, where, you know, you provide some data and you did a great job of making some predictions, uh, whereas the generative AI goes a little beyond that when not only makes predictions based on data you give, but it actually, as if you play with chat GPT, you can basically give it some, you know, high level thing like, you know, once upon a time in, in Neverland and then dot, 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 it actually creates a whole story for you from something that never existed before. So I think that's where I see the value of the new tool and AI is how creative it can be at the same time, obviously, some caveats to that too. I'm sure we'll talk about later on. Is the creativity the difference between glorified search results or even just those business intelligence dashboards that have been around for years, if not a decade plus? Is is that the key difference between those things? I think so. What do you think, Santi? I think you know. I mean, there are many other differences, but certainly creativity and um, getting more um, more targeted responses much faster. It, for me, it seems to be the more uh, re a better reason for adaptability being easier now. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I think there's creativity matters particularly. There are certain parameters, there are certain things that below the surface you can set in the generation around how random you can be in the generation of the response, and that's part of what it makes it seem novel and creative. One of the things, and this might get a little bit uh, esoteric, but the model, the way that the generative AI tools work is they've created these really clever representations of language. And what is novel is, for instance, in the past, when you use a search engine, if you go and you wanted to find, let's say that you're looking for grants in the city's page or like in the state page, if you're looking, you had to find agricultural grants and you have to use the word agriculture or agricultural something that appears either directly in the text or in the metadata associated with what you're looking for what is really incredible and almost magical about these the, especially the large language models is they use these things called embeddings but they change the representation of language so if you type in cow and it is used in a context that is similar to what the word agriculture was used, you could actually retrieve information about that. So it's the generative piece, there's a part about creativity, but there's also something that is like really remarkable, which is kind of this contextual part of how it represents language that is novel and really quite amazing. To follow up on that, Santi, can you, getting back to practical uses in local government and not just kind of the big picture, can you tell or talk to us about how AI can be used as a precise tool for a specific project versus this kind of like, oh, it just does everything for anyone at any time. Can we just use it for this, this, or this? How can a local government figure out a specific use, apply it to a specific problem, um, and solve it, whether it's internally or for the residents? 
absolutely. I think like the first thing is that we're still kind of in the early days uh, of these tools. In some say, in some sense, like I tried to imagine myself what it was like in the early '90s to start to think about how could government work better with this new thing called the internet. So we're trying to figure it out. There are some things that seem really promising and that work well. So you can use some of these large language models, like ChatGPT, Bard, uh, Claude, to brainstorm and to think about new ideas. Again, in some sense, kind of like the randomness itself helps you create and, and think about broadly around policy ideas, programs, uh, names for a particular for a particular program. It is very, they're especially the, the, I mean, the, the language models are very good at processing language. So you could ask it to summarize text, to uh, change the tone in which a text has been written or, or try to aim text to a particular audience. So I think like really, I, I think that these, why this technology for me is so exciting is like, it's kind of like a fundamental technology, just like spreadsheets. There's no one business case for a spreadsheet but they're so useful in almost anything where you have to use numbers. Large language models are a little bit like that, but for, for text and language. So you can use it to generate new text. You could use it to edit and revise text. You could use it to summarize text. You could use it to translate text. Now, because it's still early, making sure that you're tracking or understanding how does it do that in a way that is reliable and in a way that you're accounting for bias, in a way that you're accounting for the fact checking of like, because it will describe things in a way that looks accurate and real because it's language, but it might not be. So just, I think the use cases are really broad. And I think that a lot of where we are is still in a space where we're trying to experiment and trying to figure out based on our needs, do the tools do what we need it to do? And then the second stage is, will it do it in a way that is reliable and safe enough that we feel confident that we could keep using the tool for that purpose? So going back to what is AI and what is not, I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, but just creating a transcript of this interview, for example, is not really AI that's been around forever. But if the AI can listen to this entire thing and create a legit summary of it, that would be AI. Is is that right? And I asked too, thinking about like a, a town hall meeting that might go on for hours and hours and they have the transcript and they can publish that online, but the average citizen doesn't want to sort through all that necessarily. But if they can get, the local government can use AI to get a legit summary of it, would that be an example of a specific type of project that could help? There are, there both are types of AI as in like we use AI to try to transform these like sound waves. You know, our microphones are picking up like air pressure. It's noisy. There's background. There's like, it's, it's really messy signal. We use AI to try to turn that into like, see what words were said, but that's to your point. That's AI that we've had for a while. That's what Siri does. That's what Alexa or Google assistant does. What is novel is in the past, there wasn't really like a good, like high quality and efficient way of turning those words into a summary. Because semantically, there is no way of us knowing what you were actually trying to say, what were the important points, what, and what is amazing about this math, and again, it's just math underneath the, the hood, it's actually able to take that things that were just words and try to create something that actually is as accurate, like a, a good summary. There's tools and techniques to make it work better, but so it's like, 
on the one hand, you're using an older version of AI to get that initial transcript, and then you're actually using that newer version of AI to get more out of it. To build on it, yeah. Okay. The next kind of bigger question was, how can local governments vet vendors pushing AI solutions? Because again, tech companies out there, they're going to throw AI, that's the buzzword now, they're going to throw it on there as some big new solution. May or may not actually be, I suppose it doesn't really matter what you call it, if it helps you do your work or finish your project better. But how, whether it's in procurement or if you're just the IT director or whatever job you're in, in local government, how can you get rid of the, the fluff or the junk and ask the right questions to see if these tools can really help? It's a very good question, though. In fact, um, I'm guessing, only guessing they're so new or accessible to people, but it must be happening already so frequently, Joe. And I say that because when something happens frequently, uh, a phrase or term is coined. And believe it or not, there's a term coined exactly what we just mentioned. It's called AI washing. So AI washing is exactly what you said, where companies are using AI to market a product where AI may have nothing to do with it, right? Um, so one, I asked one vendor a question, you know, when they presented to me about a month ago on a product we're looking at, and they said, oh, you know, we have now a new AI uh, injected um, algorithm within this tool. I said, Great, you know, um, can you elaborate more about what type of uh, algorithm have you used? What type of uh, platform uh, do you have that makes it become an AI driven or AI empowered? And believe it or not, Joe, they could not give me the details. I'll get back to you, never happened, right? So what I'm saying is, so that's not to say that every vendor may be that, but I think as an audience, um, maybe I'm glad you asked this question. Maybe be aware that when vendors are pushing AI, that you're not being AI washed, that you are doing your research and asking more <clears throat> deeper questions, and maybe getting your technology people on the call so they can ask. Those yeah, questions. I was just gonna say because you know what you know what to ask for because that's right. what you do. But if I'm the communications director or in whatever other department, public works, I don't necessarily know. So I think getting Someone from the IT staff or whatever it's it's referred to or called is, is a good idea. Santi, anything to add to that one? Yeah, I would actually say there are pieces that you don't even need a technical person and that be clear about what is the value that you want to get out of this solution. I think that this is going to sound counterintuitive because uh, Hemant and I are both lovers of technology, but a lot of times people buy technology because they just want the problems to go away and it never works that way. So yeah. you knowing what problem you're trying to But that's to what solve, they're selling us. Sorry to I interrupt know. you, but that's what they're selling us. <laughs> and and the, then shame on us if we think that we're just yeah. the magic, that there's mag nothing's magic. Like yeah. it, it, technology always works in function of a problem. So you knowing what problem you have and then make the vendor demonstrate that they're able to solve that problem. As in, AI is not going to make people know what permit they're going to make just miraculously. You have to understand what about AI is going to help with what to get you what you need. And here's the part that is a little bit maybe unpopular. It doesn't matter if it's AI. And in fact, sometimes there's tools that won't need AI that will do things better. Like if you're trying to get quick information about uh, frequently asked questions, maybe a website is better than having a chatbot. 
technology we have a broad set of tools and technology to try to um address issues and i think that as you say not feeling that the technology enough itself is going to give you like it's better or not because it uses ai but if you have clarity around the problem and you have clarity around what you think the solution might look like force the vendor to meet you at the solution and if they can't get there then that's not the right vendor to work doesn't with. matter very good yeah. point yeah. and yeah. i i kid you not as i was writing this note for for the interview today i got one of those emails pushing a nonsense marketing <laughs> ai from a, from an ai bot and the human did not write it it sent it or created it it sent it as i was writing this question it was a little creepy which is i guess part of the ai yes. universe too sometimes a little creepy but santi one more thing can you elaborate on i i agree it doesn't necessarily matter if it's classified as a or not ai or not if it's going to help but this is an example too of a lot of the listeners out there are not from a place like Boston with that size, scope, budget, et cetera. So can you can you elaborate on the the smaller, mid-sized towns, counties that are looking at technology tools, AI or otherwise, that how, how do they scale? How can they kind of reduce this maybe overwhelming topic of AI? Like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if we can handle this. I don't know if I know enough as the IT director or the city manager, town manager there. How can those type of governments handle it? Absolutely. Well, I'll start by sharing a dirty secret that we have spent so far close to zero dollars on AI in the city of Boston. So you can do it at any size city. I think the first thing is trying around the tools. We benefit from the fact that a lot of the tools are easily accessible for free. Like if you go to OpenAI, you can access ChatGPT, or if you use Bing, you can get access to ChatGPT even ChatGPT version four, which is the most powerful model, you could use it for free, or you can use Bard for free. Do you think it's going to stay that way for a while, or is that kind of they're just trying to get everyone hooked and then start charging later? How? What is your prediction for that? It's hard to tell. I mean, look, it is when you see a little bit of the math of what it costs computationally to run each prompt, it's like in the tens of cents, usually cents to tens of cents so it's like it's expensive for them to run the service for free but we don't know like again this is the part that is like not only the technology is new the business models are new and everybody claims that they have it figured out but you see companies like microsoft like google aws they're all changing the way that they try to market and try to incorporate ai like microsoft starting to charge a premium to have like the co-pilot which is like ai enabled productivity suits so this is where I would say is embrace the fact that it is free for the time, that there are free options and you can use that to experiment, to try to learn what it is, what it isn't, to get a level of comfort. And as long as you're not using sensitive information in the prompts, you probably find us in like, don't put anything in the prompts that you wouldn't want and that you wouldn't want access by a reporter from the local newspaper. Besides that, you should be fine. But there's a lot of open data, open records and open things that you could do that would, should be fine. There's ways of starting small. Like you could start with like a, you know, like a few subscriptions of the plus version of ChatGPT if you want. I think that that'll be plenty sufficient for a lot of places. Increasingly, if you're a little bit more sophisticated and you're working in an IT department that has more resources, a lot of the ways that I think that we're going to be buying some of these services precisely that is like, add-ons on existing services. So add-ons, uh, Copilot for GitHub or Copilot for 
Microsoft Office, getting some services or access to the OpenAI API through Azure. So it's like through the, our existing cloud vendors and cloud partners, more than likely that's the way that we're going to be consuming some of these like resources. But if you're small, embrace the fact that it is free, give it a try. And there's ways of getting a lot of value, at least knowing what it is and what it isn't. I tell you, like, I don't think that you can't do it without like getting your hands a little dirty and actually trying stuff out. And I think that it is helpful to do it regardless. And that is our attitude in Boston because everybody has access to it. So the vendors are using it, knowing how a vendor might use it might be helpful, how a potential applicant to a job might use it is helpful. Whether you like it or not is the reality. Like that's the world that we are living in. Uh, how advocate groups, how community groups, are all of these tools are available. So I think like familiarizing yourself is really helpful of knowing the context in which we live because the world's definitely a little bit different than it was uh, a year or two ago. Santi, local government managers overwhelmingly report being burned out as civility degrades and social media aggregates and amplifies vitriol. AI has the potential to make this worse, can lower the cost for bad actors to flood public workers with fabricated content. I think it also has the, it could be offense-defense situation. So how do we protect our teams from this? What role does AI have in protecting the local government from this risk? I think awareness is the first place, again, being able to understand what the tools are able to do. Uh, this, what we just talked about, technology is never uh, value, you know, like it, it is kind of value neutral, but it depends on how we use it and it can be quite detrimental. So I just, unfortunately, I would say awareness is the first defense and it's a, it's a complicated, these are tough jobs and it's a complicated world that we that we live in. And I think being able to balance there's things like, even when it comes to spam detection, like, is that when we think about people's First Amendment right and the ability of people re reporting to government that they're unhappy about something versus our ability to detect and block that from, from our public discourses. These are trickly things that I think that we'll, we'll keep wrestling with, but I think awareness is essential. If you don't know that this is happening and you don't know how it works, I think that you're there's no chance that you'll be able to like anticipate and understand that. I agree absolutely that um, civility is a very complicated topic. Uh, certainly requires some deep conversations, but overall, I, I concur and echo what Santi just said that you know it needs to have some some measure of governance, if that's the right word, around those conversations to make sure that people have um, true picture of what it can and cannot do and. Uh, the power of it, just like social media right now, you know, sometimes is used in a way that can disrupt people's perceptions, and not maybe in a good way. I think AI, if not properly marshaled and used, can even almost like social media risk on steroids, in my opinion, right? Hemant, what would your opinion be on when Santi, when Santi says experiment with it, that could be individual employees, it could be departments, it could be teams. But at a certain point, there's got to maybe be some type of policy or process or yeah. just some some kind of guidelines um, to A, be efficient, but B, to make sure no one goes off the wrong way. So how can a, whether it's the CIO or the city town manager, how can they implement that without stifling the creativity or productivity of individuals or small teams? How, how do you find the balance there? Yeah, I think that's a very good question again, Joe. Uh, and I think Santi literally was one of the leaders in his environment of 
creating a guideline um, and I in fact uh, mimic pretty much what Santee wrote for City of Boston for us. Uh, but I would say that for any um, small to mid-sized or even large uh, organization in government, local government that wants to, as Santee represent, embrace and experiment responsibly, begin with a, a baby step of creating some awareness, some guideline document. Doesn't have to be policy, but I know sometimes policy word uh, comes up as a very much a, a different thing in different governments, but a guideline that creates a guardrail of what to do, the do's and don'ts. Uh, in fact, as essentially Microsoft now with, uh, on their uh, co-pilot site, there's a one-page cheat sheet, do's and don'ts, you know, how to use prompts effectively and what not to put in the prompts. Rightfully so, as again, Santi said, that you don't want to put private information on the, in the prompt, but um, some responsible use would, I think, should preclude some type of guideline initiated by the leadership within government, whether it's CIO or some type of a leadership entity within the local government that says, okay, we encourage you to use it responsibly. There is some other ways you can use for free, zero cost, but be mindful of here's some guidelines of the do's and don'ts. And they're very simple. Uh, templates available for free uh, in many, many different sources, including uh, OpenAI site themselves. They're nice templates for responsible use of AI too. Yeah, I, myself, I, I went down the rabbit hole of trying to learn and read about this stuff, and then I started playing around with ChatGPT and even one of the image creators. I won't put an exact time limit on it, but a few hours later, I realized I don't, I don't know that I should be doing this during work hours. Uh, don't tell HR. It's okay. <laughs> they don't, they don't listen to this anyways. But. That that's just one example. Like an employee might mean well, or like, hey, I want to learn this, but that's not necessarily what they should be doing. Like deadlines aside, but that's the kind of thing where it's case by case. And maybe, as Santi said also earlier, we're still learning, right? There's not necessarily like a strict here's the rule on that. And I imagine early on, it's it's better just to encourage that type of time, right? Yeah, I so, think so. I think I think uh, a responsible, creative timeline for staff members to begin the experimenting is the best way to um, not just embrace the new um, technology that we already have access to, but leverage it for the betterment of running the local government, right? So only if you're given that little bit of a space to be creative can you come up with a solution, right? So the balance is important. And I, I don't have the right, I don't have the correct answer. Each, each entity will have to come up with their own framework of what responsible AI usage means for the environment. That wraps up part one of AI and local government with Santi and Hemet. Check back tomorrow for part two for a few more questions about planning and practical application, plus our favorite AI movies. Subscribe and leave a rating.